want to make a couple comments about Genesis chapter 15 before we go to our scripture text. Um, this is one of the heaviest chapters of scripture. I want to make a couple comments about it. First of all, would anybody be able to make, uh, to have a little subtitle before we read this scripture, no animals have been harmed in the making of this chapter. <laughs> Listen, you just have to absolutely resist the lies of the world telling you that animals and human beings are just different species and you shouldn't be a speciest. You have to absolutely resist this thing that, like, you know, no animal should ever be harmed. I, I, I watched a Western made in about 73 recently, and at the beginning, no animals have been harmed. And then all through the movie, they ate meat. crazy. Um, Listen, we're so used to cherry picking. You know what I mean by that? Taking the good and not noticing the bad. That I want you to see the bad here in this chapter, okay? Because there's a point. Now look at the bad. First, the bad is what? God's making a covenant, and covenant is just another word for a contract, an agreement. And how does God make it clear this is an agreement he's going to stick by? Well, it's weighty, it's heavy, and it's oppressive to Abraham. Because why? Because God's binding himself. How does God bind himself? Well, if you look at it, you'll see that he promises a son... He makes a contract, and then he says this. Verse 9, he says to Abram, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought these to him. He cut them in two. Now, have you ever cut an animal and have you field dressed a deer? It's bloody, and it stinks. This is what God did to make the contract. Okay? He brought these, and then one half of the animals were laid on one side, the other half laid on the other. He didn't cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down, Abram scared them away. The sun went down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Okay? And God said, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. And there we see the exodus from the plagues, then the firstborn sons and firstborn animals. And you will go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. And I'll bet every one of you heard that verse. You cherry picked. But look at the blood and guts in this. And then, in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. What's going on there? It's one of the most important verses in the Bible. How many of you have ever read where the Bible gives an account of God commanding Moses and the Israelites to wipe out all the Canaanites? How many of you have ever been scandalized by that? Okay? The rest of you just haven't read it. It's scandalous. God says, go in and wipe them all out. The fathers and the mothers, the sons and the daughters, and the animals, wipe them all out. All of us think it's not right. 
right? I mean, if we're a culture that requires them to put such a stupid thing at the beginning of movies, how do we handle the Canaanites getting wiped out? Okay, now look. Here's what it says. It says, Then in the fourth generation, so God says to Abram, I'm going to give a land to your descendants, but it's going to take 400 years. After that time has passed, then I'll give it to them. Why? Well, the end of 16, it says, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Any Christian in America today should wonder whether the iniquity of America is complete yet. Do you understand this? We're killing our unborn children. We're committing adultery. We have fathers who are sexually predators against their own children. I deal with this all the time. Every pastor here deals with this multiple cases regularly. And then you read this and you think, when will the wickedness of America be complete? And then what will God do? That's the question you should be asking yourself. Not how many evangelical publishers there are. And and how many evangelical books are on the New York Times bestseller list. What you should be asking yourself is, Are there yet 7,000 righteous who will pray and cause God to be merciful? He's been so merciful to us as a nation. We should pray for revival. So here's here's the question. Why were the Canaanites wiped out? And the answer is what? Anybody? Because their, come on, their iniquity was complete. And this teaches us that God has a cup of wrath for the wicked, that when it's full, what happens? They're consumed. Have you ever filled up your father's cup of wrath? (laughs) Have you ever done it? If you haven't, you're fatherless. Every child deserves to have his father's cup of wrath filled. And then you get a tiny picture of hell and heaven. Do you understand this? And that, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The man that sows to his sinful nature, from that sinful nature will reap destruction. You all know I'm quoting scripture. All right? You also know in Hebrews that it says what? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And everything at the university is going to teach you and seduce you into thinking that there are never any consequences. You can take an incomplete. If any of you guys take an incomplete, you're fools. Unless your father or mother or grandfather dies or you get mono. (laughs) You know, all my friends that used to take incompletes. (laughs) It was awful because it ended up having infinite numbers of chains around their neck as the years went by. It's awful. Listen, with God, the day of judgment approaches. And you will be separated, and I will be separated into the sheep and the goats. And there won't be some hybrids. (laughs) Sheep and goats, okay? So that's the sermon that you didn't pay for. Why did the Canaanites get destroyed? Why did they get destroyed? because they'd filled the cup of iniquity. God gave them the leash, and it got longer and longer. It says, little ones that are on this reel. You know, the dog's like 50 yards from the owner. 
That's how much the Canaanites, 400 years of it. And all of a sudden, it was on a strong spring. And when that dog came back, it exploded into a million pieces against its owner. And that's what happened to the Canaanites, okay? Now, second sermon. Isaiah 40. And we're going to read verses 1 to 11. And this is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. This is the word of the Lord. Now, through chapter 39 of the book of Isaiah, the prophet has spoken to the people in God's behalf, and he's been convicting them of sin. And he just goes on and on. He says, you know, what do you think? You think I'm impressed with Christian books being on the bestseller list? Away with the Christian books on the bestseller. I want obedience you understand? But it's in that time with their sins, their problems. And then here at the beginning of chapter 40, we enter the promise of mercy and deliverance and peace to the people of God. What the prophet's speaking of here is not only the eventual deliverance of God's people from Babylon, but even more, their deliverance from death and from hell through the promised one. All right? So in other words, any prophecy of Scripture is not simply dealing with the present situation, but it's dealing with the past, it's dealing with the future. You know why? Because the author of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. We always make too much of ourselves and too much of man. And by the way, if you're new to this church, I say man, and I mean men and women. I'm using it with the masculine inclusive. Just get used to that. That's, that's what I do, because that's what Scripture does. Okay, now, Scripture is presented at a certain point of time. Isaiah is speaking to the people of God, right? 
But Scripture is being read today, thousands of years later, and Scripture has application before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is from eternity past to eternity future. The Holy Spirit isn't limited by time. And so when it speaks here of a shepherd, it's speaking about Jesus. And we, reading back into it, can then hear the echoes of Jesus saying what? I am the good shepherd. Right? And so I want you to think above and beyond this particular point in time, realizing, though, it is a particular point in time. He's speaking of God's deliverance of his people from their captivity in Babylon. Think of your captivity to drugs, to pornography, to pride, to your home, to whatever your captivity is, depression, all right? God delivers you from that. But then that deliverance, like the deliverance of the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt, has cosmic significance, right? The delivery of the Israelites from Egypt is really a picture to us of what it is to be liberated from our bondage to Satan today. And so when we see the Israelites, as soon as they get delivered, right, when we see them immediately say, oh, it's hopeless, I want to go back to Egypt, we all go, <laughs> That's me, isn't it? (laughs) You know, I wanted immediately to go back to rutting in the trough. You know, I want to go back to the bars. I want to go back to my boyfriend. God delivers us, and then we immediately want to go back to Egypt. So that's how I want you to think beyond just this little text, right? And so what we have here is the theme of comfort extending down through the passage. And I want to focus... In this theme of comfort, on one particular comfort, and it's in the final two verses. And those verses are, Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him like a shepherd. He will tend his flock. In his arms he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Now, we live in a different time and place from Scripture. And so we have a great deal of difficulty understanding what it is to be a shepherd or a sheep and what it would be like for God to relate to me, to you, to our families, to this church, to America as a shepherd. It's so foreign that we have to learn the elementary things about what shepherds were, what sheep and flocks were. So this week we are focusing on the name of Jesus tied to one of the most common images of life back in that time. And that's the image of a shepherd tending his flock and sheep. And I want to talk about the tools of the shepherd, the relationship of the shepherd with his sheep, and then apply it to Jesus as a shepherd of us, his people, if you belong to Jesus. There are always many people in every church who are not sheep of Jesus. I want you to be very careful as I preach to ask yourself if you belong to Jesus. All right, first, the tools and duties of a shepherd. What are the shepherd's tools? Looking at a man's tools will tell you quite a bit about his work, a woman's, her work. I used to work for the railroad as a car knocker at Chicago Northwestern, and we used to joke about the fact that there were three tracks in, three tracks out up at the proviso yards in Chicago, and we used to joke that there were only three tools for fixing freight cars. One is a come-along, one is a sledgehammer, and one's a torch. And that's it. So you know 
you're dealing with massive things if the only three tools are a torch, a sledgehammer, and a come-along. <laughs> you know, no delicate little work with the screws on the back, the torx, tiny torch, you know, torx thing that you're going to take the hard drive in and out of your laptop with, right? No, no. A come-along, a sledgehammer, and a torch, which cuts metal. All right. What about a shepherd? Well, a shepherd has a bag of food, a sling, a rod, and a staff. First, the bag of food. Um, as they'd shepherd, they'd carry their food, and in that bag uh, was things like uh, cheese, bread, dried fruit, olives. So the bag of food. Second, the sling. Now, not the slingshots we have made of aluminum where, you know, you've got surgical, um, what's it called, tubing and a little pouch. What they had were uh, long pieces of leather and then a leather pouch at the bottom. And you put the stone in the pouch, you'd grab the two ends, and you'd start whipping it in a circle. And then at the right time, you'd let the stone go. Well, after wrist rockets, we think that must not have been very accurate, but it, it, it was actually extremely accurate. Um, we know from Scripture, for instance, in Judges 20:16, it says, Among all these soldiers, there were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. I get such a kick out of that. How many of you are left-handed? Listen, first service, we had a ton of people who were left-handed. It was weird. It was like right-handers were the minority. There were 700 chosen men left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Isn't that amazing? And we're not taking H-A-R-E. It's one of these. Okay. So they were very accurate. Now, how would they use a sling? Well, if you think of shepherding as it's done in Australia or New Zealand today with sheep dogs yipping and yapping and biting the hind legs of sheep to keep them in the flock and away from danger, they didn't have that back then. Back in biblical times, the shepherds had, had no sheep dogs. Instead, they used their slings. And if a, a sheep would go off in that direction, he'd take his sling and he'd whip the stone over to a stone near the sheep's head. And sheep are dumb. You and I are sheep. And that stone hitting the, the stone would, like, cause the sheep to jump back towards the flock. Okay, so that's one tool, the sling. The second tool is this. Uh, it's a rod. What's a rod? Well, a rod is about a three-foot-long piece of wood, and at the end it's got a burl. And it's, it's, main, it's the main defensive weapon used for other animals, thieves, robbers. And it's, it's a serious thing, right? Imagine somebody using a baseball bat, but it's made of aluminum maybe, okay? So he's got the lunch bag, he's got the sling, he's got the rod, and then he's got the staff. What was a staff? Well, that's probably the one thing we all know, which is a crook and then a long piece of wood, and you use it to grab your sheep around the neck, around the leg, and pull them back. Now, think about this. The Bible tells us in Psalm 23, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In what way is a rod a comfort? Again, no animals harmed in the making of this movie? 
you understand what I'm saying? If the sheep have a good shepherd, he's going to use his rod to destroy animals and people that try to steal them, try to harm them, right? Try to break up the flock. And what about the staff? Thy rod comforts me and thy staff is a pain. No, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Many of you, as I say, have grown up in homes where your father has never used a staff. Your mother has never used a staff. No one has ever pulled you back by the neck. And so consequently, you come into a biblical church and you're going, get lost. What business is it of you that I'm dating an unbeliever? And we say, well, the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. And you say, bug off. I did not sign up for that. What's the word? Meddling. I can never remember the word. Pastor Carell is always saying that people come into this church and they find we meddle. Well, meddling is an inappropriate involvement in other people's lives. It's absolutely appropriate for us to come to you and say, you're starting to miss church and little birdies told us you're dating an unbeliever. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort. All that is is shepherds of this church, older women, older men, taking that piece of wood, putting it around your neck and saying, come on away, come on away, you belong to the flock. Don't get involved with an unbeliever. If you think that's meddling, the rod and the staff of our Lord, the great shepherd, don't comfort you. Because Jesus isn't reaching down from heaven with a staff. He's given it to the church to do. Remember I said I want you to ask, do you belong to the great shepherd? Are you one of his sheep? If you're one of his sheep... The staff of the officers of a church will be a comfort to you. (laughs) Yikes. And let me tell you, we don't employ the staff just with college students and graduate students. We employ it with our pastors. You go through my email list, you know, my queue, my out file. I use your door. You're going to find a number of apologies to the elders after meetings because I've sinned in the meeting. So don't think that this is like we have an attitude to people dating unbelievers. No, we actually have an attitude to husbands that don't love their wives. We use the staff. And we have an attitude to people that come in here and to start headbutting people. We'll use the rod. You know, have you ever been around like a flock of goats? You know, there's certain goats. I used to work on a goat farm. We had we milked 70 goats a day by hand. <laughs> okay. You might wonder why you would do that. The reason is that goat's milk is very easy fat to process. So people that can't handle cow's milk can handle goat's milk. All right. Very, there you go. Anyhow, there were certain goats that would headbutt you. If you turned your back on that goat, it would like go boom. You know, and so you'd always just keep your eye on it, right? And there are always people like that in a church. Well, what's, I mean, there are. And they don't limit their affections to their pastors and elders in Titus 2 women. They also give their affections to their fellow sheep, their fellow goats. And so what do you do? You know, 
They headbutt people a few times. You, you begin to know when they're going to headbutt. And so out comes the rod. You headbutt him, here comes the rod on your head. Bam! Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What do you think the rod and staff of our Lord is that comforts us? Well, both of them go against what we're trying to do. And so these are the tools. Number one, we have the pouch, the bag of lunch. Number two, we have the sling. Number three, we have the rod. And number four, we have the staff. Okay? Those are the tools. Now, this, the second thing I want us to look at is the duties of the shepherd. And the first and most obvious duty of the shepherd to the flock is to know which sheep belonged in his flock. All right? A shepherd is to know his sheep, and his sheep are to know their shepherd. And the sheep won't know the shepherd unless the shepherd knows the sheep. He has the obligation to make sure it's an intimate relationship, doesn't he? Okay? Proverbs 27:23 commands us, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. I love to watch these dudes that are out with their, uh, with their pickup trucks. And they're shining them. You know, every square inch of chrome, every place where there's a nick by some idiot in the parking lot, they are on intimate terms with their truck. Often those same men know absolutely nothing about their children or their wives. In other words, all of us are going to know something intimately, and that will be our idol or the things we're supposed to know intimately because God has called us to do it. A man will give attention to things. The question is only what he'll give attention to, right? His stock portfolio. (laughs) Nobody's laughing. The shepherd is to know his sheep. He's to know them. If you're a small group leader and I know more about your sheep than you do, you're a failure as a small group leader, right? If you're leading a Bible study in your dorm and I end up knowing more about the people in your Bible study than you know, you're a failure. If you're a husband and I know more about your wife than you do, you're a failure. Right? He's to know his sheep. The second duty of the shepherd, well, let me read from John 10. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow them because they know his voice. And this should be true of me with you. I tell men that work at churches and are in a staff situation, there's multiple pastors, that it, I don't care how many elders they have and how good the elders are, how many pastors and how good the pastors, the man that does the principal preaching will always have the hearts of his people in a way that nobody else in the church does. Why? Well, it's not because he's better, and it's not because he's more gifted. It just means that you're fed by my voice, you're attuned to it, and you're naturally disposed to become all soft and, 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 and vulnerable when I come around. And it's exactly that way with a herd of goats or a herd of sheep or with cows. You know, if you're a dairy farmer and you have to be away for one milking, what do you know about that milking? Production will 
will go down. Even if it's a hired hand who is there milking every single time with you, but he's a subordinate and you're the superior, you own them, the production will go down if you're missing for a milking. All right? And so we know the voice of our shepherd. We know that voice. We know it. And he knows us. And it's a beautiful thing. Do you know the voice of Jesus Christ? Is he your shepherd? The third duty of the shepherd is to seek out the lost sheep and to bring them back to the safety of the flock and the sheepfold. When I hear the word stray today, two images come to my mind. I think of cows and horses out grazing along the side of a road outside the fence. When I was out visiting one time up in Wisconsin, right before I got to the house of the person I was visiting, I saw some cows outside of the fence eating grass at the side of the road. They're in danger, aren't they? They can be hit. And so when I got to the house, I said to the person I was visiting, you know, your neighbor's cows are out, and, you know, maybe you could call him and tell him so he can take them back into safe pastures. And he said, ha, you got to be kidding me. His cows are always out. Remember Jesus had compassion on the crowds? Do you remember why? Do you remember what he said? It says he had compassion on the crowds because they were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And that's a beautiful description of People's Park. Who's in People's Park? It's sheep without a shepherd who are harassed and helpless. You seen People's Park on Kirkwood? People that hang out there, are they cool? Well, they're only cool if you're fully twisted. If you're not fully twisted, then they're objects of your compassion. Why? Because they put on the the exterior of being bad to the bone. And they're just soft to the core. Every latest drug, latest sexual immorality, latest band... Whatever it is, it it blows through them, and they all fall down that direction. And the next thing, they fall down in this direction. They all dress absolutely the same. They're in lockstep with each other. They're harassed and helpless because they're sheep without a shepherd. Right? You think of latchkey children today. They're sheep without a shepherd. And now, the application that will be difficult for you is that that's the condition of members of churches that call themselves evangelical today. Say they're Bible-believing churches. Whatever the latest book coming out of Christian publishers, the latest video, the latest clip, the latest church planning technique, the latest church growth technique, latest shepherding, latest cell group, T group, small group, it blows through the church like a wave, and all the bodies fall down on that side, and the New York Times keeps track of it, the New York Times bestseller list. The left behind comes out, and this is my, my wife's and my parents' company, Tyndale House, all right? So I, I always give my hardest blows to myself, to my family, to my church, because that has integrity. We don't beat up on Washington, D.C. We start with ourselves. So left behind comes out. Some of you remember the books, Left Behind, right? Okay, 
$1 billion in sales of all the paraphernalia and books. New York Times, it's the first book series that really makes it to the front of Barnes & Noble and Borders as Christian books. And everybody's reading Left Behind. What will it be tomorrow? What is it today? The band, CCM, who knows who it is. And nobody is saying, this is the path, walk in it. Nobody could ever accuse the Left Behind series of saying, this is the path, walk in it. <laughs> you know, what path were you supposed to walk when you read it? This is the joke. And so, the shepherd has an obligation to protect his sheep, doesn't he? To know them, to protect them, to take care of them. He has an obligation to give careful attention to them and to say, here's the path, walk in it. The shepherd is to feed and water them. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Frequently, the little ones, the lambs, couldn't keep up when they were traveling to find the next field that hadn't been browsed or eaten yet. And so the shepherd would carry the little lambs under his arms and in the hood of his cloak. God provided manna for the Israelites in the wilderness. The shepherd provides food for his sheep. The third duty of the shepherd was to seek out the lost sheep and bring them back to safety of the flock and the sheepfold. Kirkwood, stray cows, stray people, stray members of churches, he's to watch for them. Listen to Ezekiel 34:11. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. And you today, are you a stray sheep? Are you a stray? Can you, can you humble yourself to admit that you're a stray sheep that belongs to God? Can you humble yourself to allow an old, fat, gray pastor to be used as the crook of God to bring you back? If God loves you, he'll bring you back. And some of you might get stiff neck when that staff comes around your neck. That's okay. I've had a lot of people get stiff-necked with me. I don't take it personally, generally. Sometimes I do. <laughs> do you belong to God, and are you willing to have his church used by him to bring you home? The fourth duty of the shepherd is to defend his sheep by day and to guard them by night. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll not fear no evil, for thou art with me. It would often be true that people and animals would attack the sheep. And so the shepherd would defend them. Remember David, King Saul says to him, you can't handle Goliath. And so David says, oh yes, I can. But he's a giant. I can handle him. How could you possibly think that you can handle him? David says to Saul, 
Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, no animals were harmed in the making of this production. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, shot it with a tranquilizer, and then took it 50 miles further into the wilderness. That's what they did with the grizzlies up, up in the Canadian Rockies when we were backpacking up there. Now, when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Uncircumcised? That's pretty gnarly. That's an insult. No greater insult for a Jew to say than this uncircumcised. So apparently David was a very bloody man. David grew up using weapons and knowing how to draw blood with them because that was the essence of his calling, right? Got a letter from a guy out at Camp Pendleton training for the Marines this week from this church. And he talked about how he was doing at shooting. Made marksman, hopes to go higher. So what about your pastors and shepherds, elders? What about your husband? What about your father and mother? Do you want them to be able to kill people that attack you? Some of you have had a mother go after your boyfriend. I once was on the phone at 3 in the morning with a mother. I had warned the boyfriend. I had warned him. And he went ahead. And he was immoral. He fornicated. I had her on the phone at 3 o'clock in the morning as she drove her van trying to kill him with a gun next to her. And she was a member in good standing of this church. Hell hath no fury like a mother scorned. You know, the whole reason men do the fighting is so it never gets to the women doing the fighting. <laughs> because every, every woman approaches fighting as if it is her child in her womb, at her breast. And if you get through to her, it's over for you. Because God has placed in women's hearts. She's the last line. That's why men fight. I don't, that's, that's a third sermon I won't go into. <laughs> but let me tell you, my sister, who's the most rabid feminist you'll ever meet in your life, still today, she works in the inner city in Chicago. She says, I never want to break up a fight between two women. Because she said, there's nothing they won't do. She said, they'll light each other's hair on fire. Right? And so are you scandalized by God putting fathers and mothers in the church and in the home and professors and people like that into your lives who protect you. Is that scandalous to you or is that a, a precious gift? It's a duty of a shepherd. You listen to Jesus dealing with Peter. Who do you say I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this. My Father, you are Peter and upon this Petrus. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail upon the Son of Man must suffer and die. And Peter says, no, no, Lord, never. You're not going to suffer and die. And Jesus says, 
right then, right then, right after Peter confesses the greatest confession in the four Gospels, right then, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) And that's me, that's you, right? Wonderful vision and faith, and then wonderful failure, and God loves us, and God deals with us. He protects us. He's rigorous with us, right? You'll come in. Yesterday I had a man tell me. He said, you know, my wife and I, he said, many times we leave church and we're angry at you. I know a lot of you here, when you leave, you're going to be angry. Why? Because I'm telling you the truth and because you haven't had people tell you the truth. And he says, but then we go home and we talk about it and we we grow. Now, here's an idea. You know that scene in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? You know, where John Candy's talking to Steve Martin, and then Steve responds. And Steve, you know, says, here's an idea. If you're going to tell a story, have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the audience. Here's an idea. If you're going to be a shepherd, shepherd. Here's an idea. If you're going to preach, preach. It makes it so much more helpful for the congregation. So my goal is not to be liked, but to be helpful. To guard you, to feed you, to be a shepherd. This is what God is to us. Now, let me end with this question. Who is the shepherd of your soul? When you read the op-ed pages of the IDS, or whatever newspaper you read, when you go to your blogs, when you listen to Rush, is he your shepherd? Is he the ordering principle of your life? Your professors. I had a student tell me this last week that, Now, for the first time in his life, he can say that his instrument has gone under Jesus Christ. Always in his life, his instrument was above. Would you just wave your hand? Come on, put it up. Here's the man. Is that what you told me? And now, finally, what's happened to you? Testify to Jesus Christ. You said it to me. You can say it publicly. Tell them. Come on, stand up and tell them. What's your instrument? Here. I need a haircut. Um, Well, this wasn't planned. Um, (laughs) No warning. That's right. Um, I came here as a musician, and but not for that music. It was for the church, and it's been kind of a wild ride being changed and being a, a musician first and then a Christian second and then being a Christian first and a musician wherever. <laughs> and it's God has been merciful and it wasn't anything I did that brought me here but him working all along and <laughs> praise God, God. <laughs> yes <laughs>
Eleven. <laughs> I let him off and didn't require him to say what the humiliation is. Do you? I didn't make him say what it is. So here's my question. Do you belong to Jesus? If you belong to Jesus, being at the university, being in your job, it's going to be humbling, but he'll mark you as one of his own. And that's how you know you belong to him, because he marks you as one of your own. And how does he mark you? He marks you by disciplining you. How does he discipline you? By humiliating you, by making you persecuted. And then the Bible tells us that those whom he loves, he disciplines. And the Bible tells us if you're not disciplined by God, you don't know him and he isn't your father. The best way for you to know if you're a sheep that belongs to the great shepherd is whether or not you suffer in your life, you're persecuted, you're humiliated. That's the best way. Not that you've bought a left-behind book. Not that you go to a campus parachurch group. Not that you have a grandmother that prays for you. The way you know it is that life is difficult but joyful because God has marked you as his own. Let's pray.